You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. A lot of times, you know, the next time they'll have a conclave, they'll pick a pope that is, you know, conservative and not likely to start any waves and just kind of quietly serve out their term and then die. So the, the church has a chance to catch its breath before the next big shit show starts. There's a holy trinity when, when deciding what the next pope is, and it's uh, conservative, conservative, conservative. Hello and welcome to Drinks with God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. Hello and welcome to another episode of Drinks with God. Today we've got Mike and we're talking about the world's worst pope, or at least we're going to try and elect. The we're going to talk about some bad popes. <laughs> Who the worst pope is 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 kind of a it's kind of a moving target. Mm-hmm. Not the, just because there are literally hundreds of popes, because you know they've they've been popes since the time of Saint Peter, the first pope. Yeah. <clears throat> um. And then they nailed him to a cross and then turned it upside down. Because he didn't want to be like Jesus. He couldn't copy. He didn't, he didn't think he was worthy. Also, getting crucified upside down kills you quicker. Yeah. So he, he might have also just been like, alright, now I look hella pious. And also, it sucks a little less. I just think he was like the world's first hipster. Like, it's like, no, 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 I can't be like him. I gotta do an original thing. <laughs> I thought it's it was a, it's like... a little too painstream. <laughs> Uh, we're going to hell for this. Anyway, oh, yeah. so, so um, actually, before we get into starting all the poll runners for the world's worst pope, um, let's. I know about what a pope does. Essentially, like their job is to just kind of unify the general um, mission of the Catholic Church, and they uh, are supposed to be kind of the person who not only is the head of the church and the one that everyone kind of answers to throughout the hierarchy, but also is supposed to keep a close connection with the common man of the church. As far as I know, that's his general It is his job currently, um, the the way that the church does things now. As we'll go into, that was not the case for a significant chunk of the history. The the te- the actual title for Pope is the is the Cardinal of Rome or the Bishop of Rome. Yeah. A cardinal is just a bishop that has a like a higher standing. Yeah. Um, the the hierarchy is layman, you know, just the common people, then deacon, who is who perform who is kinda like the paralegal to a priest. Uh, he does a lot of the duties of the church, but he himself is not um, ordained. He can marry, he can do his own thing, but he's kind of just, you know, helping out the church. Yeah. Then there's the priest, and then there's the bishop who runs, he, he had, has a district, and then cardinals are above that. They, uh, they're kind of the more 
or you know bigger organization and the pope is technically the first among equals among the cardinals um but in practice he's he is functionally the head of the church yeah um he makes a lot of the major decisions as far as if the church is going to change focuses or make a sweeping decision regarding how they handle some social issue or another. Yeah, which always seems like a very tough job to me because it's an international organization. You kind of have to create, like, okay, we're doing this sweeping stance on things and everybody in all the various uh, um, countries with all your various political bullshit that you have to deal with locally, you're, this is your new stance. If you're following this religion still, this is, but... Yeah, and, you know, refusal to cooperate is... Uh, grounds for excommunication yeah which you know that is getting the boot and excommunication is actually at least in the church's eyes the only actual way to leave the church yeah like i'm i am technically a you know i'm a confirmed catholic i went through the the sacrament of of confirmation you know i have my saint name ambrose technically i am still a catholic even though i don't go to church and i do not espouse catholic beliefs because i haven't been excommunicated yet this is this is my my rumspringa phase. I'm I'm this is my rebellious phase, so Ooh. to speak. But you know, I may still return to the fold, and if I return, I don't have to like, you know, renew my Catholic driver's license, so to speak. Yeah, it never expired. Right. Yeah. And so excommunication, big deal. And yeah, the Pope, he does have a big job, and it's extremely stressful, which is why the average Pope does not last very long. We had John Paul II for most of our childhoods as, like, that was the Pope. And the fact that he lasted, like, over 20 years, that, like, he's among, like, the top five longest reigning popes. Yeah. I mean, um, although, speaking of popes not reigning very long, um, I thought it was actually very interesting. When I was in Vatican City um, recently... A, I thought it was going to burn to a crisp because I was Vatican City Christmas Eve getting, you know, blessed by the Pope as a practicing pagan. I thought that was just, God was going to strike me down. But, <laughs> um, also... I'm calling your bluff, God. Do your worst. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, it's just sunburn. God, it's hot in the Mediterranean. Ooh, I am, I am still in one piece and I am not crushed to a cinder. Either the whole concept of, of, of... Christianity is bullshit, or not even the Pope could get the job done. <laughs> either way, I'm feeling great. It's either apathy or it's luck. <laughs> um, but the fact that the the previous Pope, who abdicated, like he essentially abdicated, right? He um, stepped down, which is also very rare. He is living in Vatican City still. He's got his own apartments there, right? Um, like he's not. He's kind of like just an ex figurehead. He's under house arrest, like. It, has that happened before? Technically like, under House of God arrest. <laughs> House of God arrest. Okay. True. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and that was just popular, you know, popular opinion largely pushed him out, I feel, but. Yeah, I, you know, only he really knows his true motivations. I know the fact that he, um, the fact that he was complicit in the molesting priest scandal Honestly, almost got him on this list just as a mention, but I'm, you know, I guess I'm mentioning him now. Uh, you know, pe- people also give him shit for being in the Hitler Youth as a child, but like, don't don't blame an eight year old for ma- for doing dumb shit. Like, he was eight. Give him some, cut him some slack or fourteen. Whatever old he was, 
he was a child. Don't don't give him shit for that. Yeah. That doesn't mean that at the age of like seventy that he's still espousing Nazi beliefs. That's stupid. Yeah. We'll we'll leave that where it lies because I've been around eight year olds and Christ, most of them I would I would happily just like. Oh no! Dropkick the little bastards while yeah. they're while they're still eight. While they're still eight, and they've done stupid shit. That We're I would... talking about like look, looking back on things. You can be like, "Oh man, I was a shitty eight year old," and you'd be like, "Congratulations, so was everyone else." <laughs> yeah, but now, but now we're way off topic from the from the topic of popes because most popes. Another reason they don't last very long is that to really to be a pope, you have to be a car. Well, actually, you don't actually have to be a cardinal. They can anyone that is ordained can become a pope, but practically speaking you have to be a cardinal yeah they're, they're, that's the only way you're really gonna be in the running for for consideration and you know to have that rank and enough clout to have that consideration you gotta have been in the church for a long time so and then add that to the fact that the being the pope is an incredibly stressful job there's a reason that most popes don't last ten years. Yeah, because you have to been around long enough to reach the rank of cardinal, or at least to have been in the like worldwide Catholic eye. And it is the opposite of a retirement. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is it is a tirement to be sure? Because by 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 the time you die, inevitably you will just be like, I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> so. um... Before we get too much further into this, I always ask people, um, so why should uh, we be talking to you about this? Oh, you did, you did, you you majored in religion. Did you specifically focus on Catholicism? Um, yeah, I went to St. Edward's University up in Austin, which is a Catholic university, so kind of inevitably my, you know, my religious degree is very heavily steeped in a Catholic background, um, you know, we studied a lot of the Catholic philosophy, the approach towards Catholic social justice, you know, the Catholic views on interpreting the Bible and, you know, their own storied history as we're about to get into. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a Catholic biased, uh, religious background. Okay. And of course I was raised Catholic on my mom's side. My dad's Methodist. My uncle's on my dad's side is a Methodist reverend, but my dad's always been very not give a shit about faith. My dad's dad, my grandpa, was like, just believe in something, I don't care. But, you know, my mom, who's primarily Polish, they're they're Polish Catholic, and given what the Polish have gone through, yeah, I would pretty much cling to Jesus, too. <laughs> it's the least they can get. Yeah, they gotta grab, they gotta get what they can. <sighs> well, at some point in time, we're gonna have to cover... Polish history on this show. <laughs> oh boy! But um, talk about an underdog. But at, but for now, let's talk a bit, a little bit more about Roman history. So uh, there have been how many popes? We're getting into. Oh, there is. There have been hundreds. I mean, like I said, like Saint Peter was the first, and that was like AD fifty-ish. Let's give or take. Mm. So that's about. 1,970 years of of papal history in one of the most consistently occupied areas in the world and everything that that entails. Now, I actually have a question that I don't know if you have the answer to. P Everyone knows Peter was the first pope, and that was obviously, like, being a Christian was kind of like a not a good space to be in. And, was, yeah. yeah. So who was the second pope? 
They you were... know, if you had asked me circa 2010 when I was still getting my degree, I probably could have answered that. Yeah. I don't remember who the second pope was. Right. I know the, the, the rules for electing who the pope was were not really properly codified till way later. Yeah, a lot of what I know about the Catholic Church has to do with what they did in reaction to the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, and you know, one of the uh, one of the popes on this list had some part to play in the eventual Protestant Reformation. Yeah, but um, okay, uh, we'll, we'll I'll I'll probably ask that again if I ever do a show on the uh, yeah. the ballsy both popes. the Protestant <laughs> Reformation and the eventual forming of the Church of England. Yeah, no. Again, just to further define terms, I know that people who are going into this not Catholic and without a background and knowing what Catholicism really is, the ins and outs, an anti-pope, aside from being a really cool name for like uh, some sort of like D&D debil- uh, <laughs> right. monster. Well, to them I would say, have you seen the Star Trek episode where they meet their <laughs> evil selves? <laughs> if you ever see like, it, he looks exactly like a pope, but he has like a really well-trimmed goatee, that's an anti-pope. You can, he's he's his his sacraments are usually things like baby sacrifice, um, eating children, um, breaking up marriages. I don't believe you. Oh <laughs> shit! And also, I don't try to bring up any Levee shit because I know what Satanism is. <laughs> oh right, okay. Well, that's right. Now, an anti, and it here's part of the fun family shitstorm that is the papacy. For a while, there were several popes happening at once, yeah. and all of them declared the other popes to be the anti-pope, because pope was just as much a, actually no, it was way more of a political thing than it was a religious thing, Yeah, because it was very blatantly a political move. Uh, rich families would try to get either a family member or at least someone loyal to their family elected pope, because... The Pope had a lot of political sway. They could appoint a lot of really cushy gigs and, you know, create policies and stuff that would explicitly hurt their enemies. So occasionally you'd have different people who, you know, had become Pope by some way or another, and they would say that the other ones are not the Pope. Uh, For a while, the Pope wasn't even in Rome. He was up in France. Um part either due to being politically ousted or because uh, for a long time Rome was kind of a shithole and they didn't want to go there. I had it in my head at some point that there was a, an anti-pope based in Vienna and that the Pope... Versus, there was also one of those. That the anti-pope thing was uh, a lot of Byzantium, Byzantine Empire versus Roman Empire, like old... It was It was also that. the yeah. like I think I, I think at the peak there were four popes competing with one another. Yes, now, <laughs> now that is a virus mark, Point. and they were all excommunicating each other because naturally, if if someone's going to be trying to, to you know drop a turd in the in the papal punch bowl, you want to get rid of that. So they'd excommunicate each other, except it was not entirely clear who had the actual legitimate claim. So, you, who you believe really depended on who was going to be the most convenient for you. This seems like the ultimate, like, medieval political double-dog, I double-dog dare you situation. It only sounds like that because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, the, uh, you'd have, like, you know, the French contingent and they'd have their pope because he made all these promises. And then you'd have the guy in Vienna and, the, you know, the guy that's actually in Rome being like, Guys, I'm in Rome! <laughs> I am in the place! Can we... Please, and then they're like, "No, I'm I'm up here in France," and I say, "Up yours." 
there's a story about there's actually a story about a saint who, at least according to the history books, um, talked the uh, Pope into moving back to Rome by calling him a bitch, essentially. Good, but I... um, it, it was it was a lot more impassioned than that. But that's exactly that's pretty much what she did was, you a bitch. Go back to Rome and do your fucking job. And he was like, okay. <laughs> which, do you remember which saint that is? I think that's St. Catherine, I want to say. I don't know. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't brush up on my saints. Because I, a lot of these popes are, are not that. <laughs> not sainted. Yeah, it's okay. I will, I will try and figure that saint out and I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> but, um... All right, I think we've we've laid enough groundwork here for those of you who are not familiar about what popes are and exactly what they do, aside from wear a funny hat and get something called the Pope Mobile. Which... Actually, on that note, we I think it would be good to explain to them how popes are elected. Oh yeah, actually, that, that would that would be good, especially if you have zero backing in this or background in this. You don't just get a sweet house and a really fantastic art art gallery in your own room. Yeah, the the way it works is that when a pope dies. Um, the Vatican has a conclave. All the cardinals all gather into a building. They lock the doors, and they do not leave until the new pope is elected. Um, they will have, you know, they'll discuss who they think is worthy, and then they'll have votes. Um, they'll call for votes. Everyone will submit their votes. It's anonymous. And then if you have, if you get a majority all voting for the same person... And no one has any strong objections to it. Um, like, hey, he's secretly an anti-pope. <laughs> I saw him eat a baby. <laughs> Henry, that's not what an anti-pope does. <laughs> um, as long as you don't have that, then um, then that is the new pope. They go through all the ceremony and yada yada. If the vote goes nowhere, they uh, they burn it in a specific like fireplace. Um, and then they throw some stuff on it to make sure that the smoke comes out as black. So that the, the people outside can know, okay, so they haven't just been, you know, sitting on their thumbs. They've been voting. Black smoke, no pope. But they tried. And then if they do elect a pope, then the ballots are also burned again. Because you don't want, you know, they don't know who voted for who. They just know that enough of them voted for a person. And they throw some stuff on it that makes it burn white instead. And that means new pope's elected. Details to follow. Yeah. So that is how a pope is decided. Smoke signals. Yeah, smoke signals. And it's and it's still done to this day. The tradition has not changed. Yep. And there's also a chair that I remember. Um, like, at least I remember it being part of the tour. The throne of St. Peter? No, not just the throne of St. Peter. It, like, it had, like, a hole in it at some point. I'll, I'll look that up to see if I like to just hallucinate it. Or if it wasn't just some fancy art thing, because there was so much art in Vatican City. Yeah, for have, for for occupying a half acre, there is so much stuff in the Vatican. Yeah, and also lots of really cool surrealist impressionistic art. Really? Yeah. That I would not have guessed. Yeah, like there is like this dolly looking, like I, um, like crucifix up on a wall in a corner. And it was damn cool. I'll post a couple pictures from when I was in Vatican City in the show notes, just because it was there's some cool shit there. I'll also have to uh, post some pictures of the uh, specific stuff from the Sistine Chapel because that's going that's coming up. Yes, <laughs> that's going to get mentioned. All right. Oh, oh boy, is it? Um, okay, so 
I know that how many popes do you made your list in contenders for worst pope? Can you just list them off my name to start with? It's it's not worst pope. It's mainly just outstandingly bad popes. Like worst pope is very hard to quantify, and one of the reasons that it's hard to know for sure how bad a pope is is that a lot. You know, like I said, this is a very political position, and uh, especially back in the day when the records were a little more harder to nail down and you know they didn't have the printing press and stuff like that yeah uh if a pope if the if you if you as a pope did some stuff and then the pope who came after you hated you or at least hated your political faction that you were allied with one of the first things they did was to smear you as hard as you could as hard as they could to make it look like you were just like actual satan and the dark times are over good times are ahead let's do this so a, a lot of the popes that are hated, it's hard to say where the truth ends and the lies begin because usually they were succeeded by someone who hated their guts for sometimes legitimate, sometimes petty reasons, and they might have just completely made shit up. And also, like, records would be, like, smeared and, like, destroyed. Right. Frequently. Very frequently. It's very easy when there's exactly one record because they don't have a printing press. Yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is frustrating being a history major. This is why we drink. <laughs> yep. Oh, on that note, I'm going to take a swill of this margarita. Chin chin. Um, yeah, it should be noted, though, that um, even if these guys' records is extremely exaggerated, these guys were not great popes. You know, it's... It's easy to grade on a curve because for a, you know, for a significant chunks of the history, none of the popes were good. But I mean, you're the head of the Church of Rome, there should be some standards, and even if, you know, your last ten predecessors and your next ten successors are all about as bad as you, that's not an excuse. You're the head of the church. Have some class. Yes. Please have some dignity. And have dignity, not illegitimate children. <laughs> That's not what dignity means. Yeah. When he said be fruitful and multiply, he wasn't talking about you. Yeah, it's <laughs> dignity, not dignity. Quit dicking your mistresses and making your kids cardinals. <laughs> Point that we shouldn't have to even try to address. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, just run off the couple names so we know okay, who we're going to be addressing. Okay, so the first one we're going to talk about is... Um, oh, and... Uh, You'll, you'll, just another one last note, uh, popes will have names like, you know, Pope Clement, the whatever, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth or the current one, Pope Francis, John Paul II. That is not their actual name, that is the name that they choose for themselves. It's always named after, you know, some saint or another, and, um, you know, tradition goes you, you usually name yourself after a saint that's already been named just for tradition's sake. Popes tend to kind of stick to that tradition just because it's an easy way to just get some brownie points with the cardinals, and you need these people to work with you on this shit. Like you're the you are technically the boss, but you know they they have their own powers too. I was actually always curious about that whether they like they pick a saint or if they use their the name that they were confirmed with. It's it's usually based a lot of t- if it like if there was a specific pope that you took a lot of inspiration from personally okay sometimes you'll choose whatever their name went with and then whatever is next in that succession yeah um but uh technically the yeah like really the pope can choose whichever name they like out of the list of saints but 
realistically, they, you know, they kind of go with a more traditional approach for easy points. Alright. So, um, so, yeah, all these characters, when I name a person, like, you know, as the, the first one is Stephen the Sixth. This guy's name was not actually Stephen. I didn't write down what his actual name was, I only wrote down one of their names, but his name was not actually Stephen, that's just the same name he chose. Yeah. Um, he reigned from 1896 to 1897. If that sounds really short, uh, that was actually a pretty good run for this time. Um, Italy, as an actual nation, didn't really exist till the 1800s. Um, actually, Italy, Germany, and uh, Japan really were not fully properly united into a collective nation until about like about within a year of each other. Like all the Axis powers became proper centralized nations. Within, like, one or two years' time span. It's really weird. So, Italy, for the longest time, was actually a bunch of uh, various factions. Uh, Venice, uh, Florence, Milan, Tuscany, those kind of places. And they were all, you know, they were either at war with each other or dearest friends. And that would, like, alternate yearly. So, you know, the smart person just stopped keeping track and just kept their heads down. Um, so, there were a lot of popes with really short reigns. Like, um... The, uh, we're talking like potentially weeks because they were either ousted, died of disease because this is the 800s, um, were assassinated, things like that. There was, it was an extremely unstable period in Italy and we are about to see just how unstable this was. So Stephen, he, um, that thing I talked to you about, about how your, your successor will smear the hell out of you. Yeah. This is... Quite possibly the most egregious example ever. Oh, this and one he set that precedent pretty early in the 800s. This one who dug up his predecessor? Yes! <laughs> Not his predecessor. His penultimate predecessor. The guy who came before the last guy. All right. <laughs> the, the guy who came before Stephen lasted like two months. Like that, This is, becomes a pattern because like the other two guys, they also hated each other, the next two people on the list. But there was a pope in between them. Yeah, popes don't last very long. They just drop them like flies. It is. Um, there's a running joke that for a cardinal, if you want to go and meet your maker as fast as possible, get elected pope. <laughs> like, you'll be seeing him in no time. And I'm sure John Paul II was just like, any fucking time, guys! I've only been pope for like 25 years! You made me the pope during the Soviet era. What the fuck? Please kill me. God, he was long enough to see, like, iPhones come around. Really? Was. Yeah, he went from, like, Cold War to, to or at least may, Or at least maybe hearing about, oh yeah, the iPhone's coming out yet last, next year. I hope I'm here for that. Just kidding. End me. <laughs> so yeah, Stephen VI. Uh, he hated his predecessor, who was Pope Formosus. Uh, that's a name that I don't think ever got used again. Yeah, that's not a familiar one. <laughs> you don't ever hear about Formosus Thirteenth. I think because it sounds too much like Formosus and... Honestly, if you're going to smear someone, don't make it that easy for them. (laughs) (laughs) Your foreskin's too big. Supposed to be living a life of celibacy. What does it matter? (laughs) Your foreskin's still too big. Now that's what I'm sensitive about. (laughs) They kept taunting me about that back in priest camp. In priest school. (laughs) So yeah, he hated Formosus. It was it was obviously a political thing because it's always a fucking political thing. They certainly he certainly didn't hate this guy on moral grounds. Um because Stephen was sponsored by a rival family. It was always some rich family that would like 
pay for you to bribe or murder or just whatever your way into the papacy. Um, so he became Pope and not content with just shitting all over Formosus, he was just like, no, this, this man escaped justice and he must have justice. So he had the body dug up, put in papal vestments, a dead body. And like, he wasn't dead for that long. Like at this point he was like four months in the ground, but before we had formaldehyde, that's, that's long enough. Yep. Those vestments were never used again. Yeah, I sure hope not. Yeah, he had his body exhumed and then put it on trial. And by put on trial, I mean, like, he sat him in the, you know, accusational chair and just dead body. Like, there was no hiding this. This was a dead body in papal vestments. And because, obviously, the dead can't speak for himself or else we have a whole other situation and... Quick question. Has there ever been a Phoenix Wright moment where they actually reenacted this bit? You know... He's talking about the game series Phoenix Wright where you play as an attorney and it's basically a text-based adventure game where you have to solve, you know, crimes in a trial courtroom. Very fun, but home, like, if you take an objective look at the stories, it's absurd. And this would not be out of place for that those plot lines. The answer is you're pretty close. Okay. You do, in fact, at one point put a dead person on trial. Is it the actual body? No, it is a spirit inhabiting a spirit medium who can channel the spirits of the dead. Okay, but... The, so it's only slightly stupid. All right, so, but the physical body isn't sitting there, like, in the box, like, just... No, okay. no, that's... Thankfully, the, the games never get quite that grim. Because then there'd be a great side quest where you're trying to find a really great ventriloquist who's also a, <laughs> me, who's also a psychic to, like... Oh, we've, we've already had a... We've already dealt with a ventriloquist in those games, and, uh... Spirits of the Dead in the game. Spirits both helping you in the trial and actually being on the trial. As well as, at one point, putting a parrot on the stand. Not surprised. Remotely. Yeah. Not even remotely surprised. Those games are great, but, like, wow. I'll give you this much, though, unless Kingdom Hearts, that you can actually understand them. <laughs> like, they're weird in context, but at least they're fun. Anyway, so, yeah, he had the body put on trial. This was, this was known as the Cadaver Synod. Good. Name of my next band. Yeah. <laughs> that, that actually is a really good band name, is, uh, his Corpse Trial. Um, and of course, because the body couldn't speak for himself, he had a deacon answer on behalf of Formosus. Uh, shot in the dark, but I'm gonna dare say that the deacon could read the room and be like, okay, so I'm really not gonna be impassioned about my defense. I'm probably just gonna throw this whole thing. <laughs> I'm you gonna know. softball this, and maybe I'll be Pope. <laughs> the... The funny thing was, like, the actual charges that he had with this guy were pretty petty, all things considered. Um, he accused him of acting as a bishop, like, not even as a pope, for for performing acts as a bishop while not having been properly ordained. He, he, he dug up a body and put him on trial on a technicality. <laughs> That's what it boils down to, because he really didn't have anything else solid to put on this guy. Or slightly mushy, since he was dead. Um... <laughs> so he he accused him of acting as a bishop while not having been properly ordained and of using underhanded methods to obtain the papacy, which is pretty fucking rich considering for the for a significant chunk of the church's history, that was the only way to become the pope. Was to bribe or threaten or blackmail or murder your way up to the top. That was kind of just par for the course. But... You know, and he would ask him questions, and the deacon would answer on his behalf, and he would usually be like, you know, oh, why did you do this? Because I'm evil! Fuck you! (laughs) 
Not, but yeah, it's, it's like a necromantic kangaroo court. Also a good name for a band. Oh shit, you're right. Um, so yeah, uh, naturally, of course, because how'd this end any other way, Formosus was found guilty, stripped of his papal garments, they caught off three of his right fingers, which is the, you know, the hand he uses to bless things, and that it was like a symbolic thing, they cut off his fingers and be like, no, you can't bless things, not even in death. They had all, everything that he did as a pope was like retroactively annulled, it was like, yeah, because he wasn't, he wasn't properly ordained in the first place, something he did was valid. And then they threw him in a grave, like, in, in like, uh, peasant clothes. And then they dug him up. It doesn't, it, they, they didn't say how long he was in that grave before they dug him up again. I would like to think that as soon as they, like, tamped down the dirt, it was like, okay, job's done. Okay, dig him up. <laughs> at, at which point the grave digger just rolled his eyes and was like, looked at the camera and said, Popes, am I right? I was like, at least I'm making overtime. Yep. But I'm cha. It's a living. <laughs> ba -da 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 -da. Wow. Yeah, so they they buried him in, in in just peasant clothes and then dug him up again and then put weights on his body and threw it into the Tiber River. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just really picked like a weird papal version of Jason Voorhees, but in the Tiber. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Oh good. <laughs> Because this uh, this farce of a trial uh, did not go over well with the people. Not necessarily because they liked Formosus, but just because... I mean, guy, come on. Bro. Bruh. Allegedly, when the body finally washed up somewhere, it had performed miracles. Again, details are very vague, but something like something miraculous was miraculous was happening in relation to the body. It happens. I don't know. Maybe someone touched it and his herpes fell off. Good. I don't know how this works. I don't know how miracles work. I only have a degree in this. <laughs> I have a degree in miracles. I know how they work. So yeah, he. Uh, yeah, it was not well received, and and it's also possible that this was also made up by you know Stephen the Sixth's enemies. Yeah. Almost any ambiguity in this is probably just his enemies made this shit up. Uh, but yeah, did not go over well. There was a public uprising. He was um, he was imprisoned, and he was deposed as pope. And uh, while he was in prison, he was strangled to death. And I, I really hope the guy who was strangling him was just like, yeah, your court date's in two weeks, so I gotta do this now. That's fair, right? <laughs> That's how this works, right, Stephen the Sixth? You die, and then your trial happens? Pepsi or choke, motherfucker! Pepsi or choke! <laughs> to which Stephen probably went like, oh, 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 I get it. <laughs> and then, uh, the, the weird thing is that... You know, much like with Formosus, the drama didn't end with his death. After Stephen was strangled to death, um, in, in, you know, cause of death, dramatic irony, um, <laughs> the, the, the drama of the cadaver synod still didn't end with him, with him. Like, the next few popes, because, and it was the next couple popes in the sense that, like, I think they went through three more popes in the next year. It was a very unstable time. I'm feeling like... 
Isn't the Pope supposed to be, like, the bride of the church, quote-unquote, or, like... He's supposed to be leading the church, yes, but the church, at the time, the church was very much a political entity. Okay, I was gonna make, like, a high school romance joke there, never mind. <laughs> yeah, though, there was a, you know, the papal state, like, the church owned land and had armies and, you know, like, they were a political force alongside the nations. So they, um, that's also why all these royal families were, would vie for having their, you know, their chosen person become a pope because, you know... There's money in the banana stand. Margaritas and shots. Yep. I know they have a thing about not mixing your liquors, but fuck it. All these all these people are long since dead. What are they going to do? Dig me up? And it, it, this this whole podcast is a cadaver synod when you really get down to it. More or less. We're yeah. we're we're dragging these bodies up and putting them on blast. But <laughs> fuck them. But yeah, the the next couple popes went back and forth, either either annulling the cadaver synod, being like, Formosus did nothing wrong, hashtag, <laughs> or, or reaffirming it and saying, like, no, he was entirely correct, this guy fucked up. And it just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I, I don't remember what the actual final wording was. I think the church is kind of discontent to be like, the whole thing was stupid, don't ask questions about it. They just moved on at Yeah, point. they were like, who cares? It was, un- it was an unstable time, most of the records are missing, and nothing that, they didn't do anything actually important in terms of actual, like, lasting church history, aside from, like, making for, like, honestly, th- would this not be the most, like, baller episode of Game of Thrones ever? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, ooh, which, which body should they dig up, though? I, I would I would I, w- I would answer, but uh, you know the only thing you know more spoiled than the plot line would be their bodies. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so that was Stephen the Sixth, who ruled in the ninth century, the tail end of the ninth century. Although, like ten popes ruled at the tail end of the ninth century, really unstable. So now we're going to shift to, it's it's still Italy, but it, this is with a Spanish guy. And this is actually the guy that inspired me to pick this topic. This is Rodrigo Borgia, a.k.a. Pope Alexander VI, who reigned from 1492 to 1503. So pretty decent run, all things considered. Now, is this the one that they made the TV show on? Yes, the Borgias is all about him and his wacky-ass family. Now, from what I've heard... The TV show actually toned it down in some areas just to make it slightly more palatable for a modern audience, but also, like, sexed up the parts that, surprisingly, weren't toned down because, Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) There are some things that we absolutely know he did, and then there are some things that, as as I said before, might have just been made up by his enemies. Very hard to say... But he certainly was not a nice guy. All right, so, uh, Borgia. And, uh, the reason that I picked him in particular is that I've been recently replaying the Assassin's Creed series, the video game series where a guy relives his ancestors' memories in this sort of alternate history thing where constantly running in the background of history is this fight between a group called the Assassins and a group called the Templars. The Assassins believe that people should have the freedom to choose their own path, and the Templars believe that in order to... Um, manage humanity best that they need to control the citizenry because people when left to their own devices will tear themselves apart and having the best and brightest control humanity and lead them into a utopia is the best way and it's this ideological fight and yada 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 and it's Ubisoft so it's a complete hit or miss but that's getting into video games not Jeebus 
It's okay. We can go into the religious <laughs> area of video games in another show. That's yes. Fine. But uh, Assassin's Creed 1 was like in the Middle Ages. It took place during the Crusades, which is its own thing. We could do a whole podcast about that shit show. Um, the uh, second game uh, takes place in Renaissance Italy, and the uh, primary antagonist and is, like, the current Grand Master of the Templars, is Rodrigo Borgia, a.k.a. Alexander VI, who, uh, partway through the game, becomes the Pope. And then in, this, in the spin-off game, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, he is the Pope, and the primary antagonist is one of his kids, Cesare. Um, so, you know, I was kind of playing through all that, you know, rereading, because they have, they have actual, like, historical entries in the game about the various historical figures that you run into and interact with and can potentially be BFFs with. I love you, Leonardo. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, the Renaissance Italy political machinations were just fascinating, especially given our current political climate. Um, so Alexander VI, Rodrigo Borgia, this is a guy who, of all the popes that might have been the victim of a smear, like, really, like, not even Formosus could potentially top... Rodrigo Borgia in terms of what might have been smeared about him? Hard to say. Uh, he was Spanish, in, if you couldn't figure out from the name, and he was ruling in an Italian area where the Italians really did not care much for the Spanish. Um, so a lot of this might just be that, you know, what the Italian families would forgive each other for doing, they just condemned him for. Because, you know, xenophobia. Yeah, and also just like, you know... He, a guy stepping in and, and sticking his thumb in this Italian in fighting. They're like, whoa, excuse you. What are you doing? And by thumb, you mean dick, because this is... It's always the dick. Yes. You can you can put that on a t-shirt for me. It's always the dick. I mean... Mike Fieldall, comma, talking about Popes, comma, 2018. I mean, I will literally put that on a t-shirt, because I sell t-shirts to fund this podcast. Oh, well, I want one. Yeah, okay. I'll make you one. He, uh... Shit, I lost my... Where I was going with this. We're talking about Borgia's dick. Oh, right, yeah. And and him being Spanish compared to everyone's Italian. Yeah, like, it is entirely possible that the Borgias did not do anything worse than what the other Italian families were doing, but they just specifically had it out for him because he was Spanish and not Italian, and he was kind of becoming a new wild card in this whole thing. But, point being, he was still doing some shady shit. Fair enough. Um, he... Like, he became a cardinal, he rose to the ranks, he had his own political power plays and shit going on while being a member of the clergy. He had a mistress, because of course he did. He had several children while he was a, you know, an ordained person. I kind of feel like, like, what year was this, though? I feel like that was par for the course for a big chunk of... Like, this would have been the 1470s when he was rising through the ranks. Yeah, I feel like if you were alive during that period, that was just required. Yeah, prostitution was like way more of a socially accepted thing back then, but like, at the very least, the priests, if they weren't going to actually be celibate, they were supposed to at least be discreet about it, and he couldn't be bothered to do that. Okay, so... He had se he had several children and he was open about it. Usually what you would do is, if a priest had an, or a cardinal or a bishop or a cardinal or a pope, if they had an illegitimate child, they would call them their niece or their nephew still be openly nepotistic about the whole thing but say it's their nephew or niece and everyone would know what they actually meant but polite society and you know that you don't actually want to start shit about this because you know the papal state had 
military. Yes. Um, but Alexander, he had a mistress who was married, because of course, and had several kids with her and all that. But uh, dur- when he actually became the Pope during the Conclave, it is alleged that he uh, he was up against three, uh, no, he was up against two other rivals. Um, one of them being uh, Cardinal Ascanio Sforza. The Sforzas were a major political family at the time. They were like the Sforzas, the uh, Medici, um, the Orianos, I think. I'm probably pronouncing that. I didn't write it down. But, um, you know, there are all these rival families. And allegedly, this is, you know, again, history. You know how it is. He bought his papacy... He gave four mule loads of silver, however much a mule can carry of silver. And they're not starting with mule loads. Right? Um, so so four literal, not figurative, ass loads of silver. He sent that to, allegedly, he sent it to Cardinal Sforza to, you know, to convince his supporters to support him instead. Along with the other standard bribery, blackmail, murder, treachery, yada yada, which, yeah, that was... That was basically had to be part of your resume to become the Pope. Yep. You know, the, the Cardinals just looked at whoever would, was going to be the most politically convenient and chose him because who gives a shit? This is the Renaissance era. Um, so he became the Pope. And then um, still, like, even as a Pope, kept his, up his mistresses, kept up having his children. He was real, like, he was super open about his nepotism. Like, he was just... Given his nieces and nephews, you can't see, but I'm using air quotes, uh, just left and right, just giving them various positions. Um, We're going to get into how specific those positions were in a second, I'm sure. <laughs> a couple of them, like, a couple of them were just minor family members and whatever, you just give them a, you know, a swanky post. Um, the That Italian prejudice that I mentioned earlier, like, he, you know, it wasn't just historical, like, he, it was active and he knew it. So it is possible that his his excessive nepotism was kind of, to him, kind of a necessary response to the fact that he really couldn't trust anyone in Italy. So he assumed that his illegitimate children owed everything to him, so... Or at the very least, they he was the only ones... They were the only ones he could trust to probably maintain his interests. As long as they were smart enough to do so. Yeah, just like, you know, if he goes down, they go down, and vice versa. You know, the sense of, like, we're all in this together, so... You don't fuck this up, or don't don't tank this for your own selfish interest because this is not in your interest, kind of thing. <laughs> Please plug all the holes in the sinking ship. Thank you. Yeah, kind kind of like you know, modern day. <laughs> sigh, less sigh. Boy, have times how times have changed. Tom- just just kidding. Rodrigo Borgia actually knew what he was doing. <laughs> so yeah, open open and excessive nepotism, that's what I put on my notes. Uh, one of the most egregious examples was his son, Cesare Borgia, who, yeah, un- again, could do a whole podcast on this guy alone, because he's, and he manages to be the central antagonist of one of those Assassin's Creed games. They, they really kind of amp up his villainy, and it's anybody's guess as to how accurate that all is, but uh, Cesare was made a cardinal at the age of 18. Um, oh, at least, at least compared to modern times, um, you can't even become a priest at 18. Yeah, I'm sure he knew a whole lot about how great Jesus was and how well to organize people in the name of Jesus at yeah, 18. no kidding. He, uh, and he was made a cardinal. Yeah. 
He was one of the guys who gets to pick the Pope. You don't even get to become a priest. Like, you can... I don't, I don't even think you can become a deacon at 18 nowadays. Like... I mean, not even, like, considering for life expectancy issues. Back then, at around 18... Right. Like, at 18, you were probably a functioning adult for all of three years. But yeah, like, he, he became a... He not only became a cardinal at 18, he was... I think he was the first person to ever resign from being a cardinal. Not just, like, die of old age or, like, retire to go, you know, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm too old to fulfill my duties. I'm just going to go live quietly and, and die. No, like, he just straight up resigned and said, I'm off to go do bigger and better things, he to was, which the church was like, what bigger and better things? You're a cardinal. He was bored. <laughs> yeah. He, um, he was given a dukedom the same day by, I believe, the king of France. It was either the king of France or, like, some big person in Italy, I forget. But he was made a duke the same day. Um, Cesare's whole claim to fame was that he was a he was a very effective uh, military leader. All things considered, like, this guy was arguably way better than his dad, just in terms of both competence and, like, when he took over lands in Italy, people generally regarded him as a step up from the previous uh, rulers. Okay, so, I mean, that's actually saying But, something. you know, again, it's it's hard to say, because, you know, he was still, you know, military campaigning for the church. Um, also, interesting side note, as far as long as we're name-dropping, Cesare Borgia, uh, during this time period that uh, he stepped down from being a cardinal and became uh, basically the Pope's general, uh, he employed Leonardo da Vinci as a military engineer. The thing that Leonardo da Vinci actually wanted to be. Yeah, the uh, the thing that he was very very good at, um, he was both an architect and engineer. Um, uh, all historical records suggest that he was like they had a very good relationship, and that yeah. you know Cesare you know reward like acknowledged his genius quite amply. And Leonardo, despite being a chronic procrastinator, actually got off his ass and got shit done for this guy. Um, of course, in the Assassin's Creed games, because Leonardo da Vinci is your friend and Cesare Borgia is your enemy, they make it sound like he's basically being held hostage, but, you know, the, the Assassin's Creed games are pretty open about the fact that this is an alternate universe history. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has to be. But, uh, I, like, I've all seen the, the flashbacks and things and the mechanics and that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, all the cool shit that he was drawing up, like the, you know, the ideas for the tanks and the, you know, the ship-based rockets and stuff like that, like, he... One big thing that he did was that he made really good maps of cities, which, if you're trying to lay siege to a city, pretty important. Yeah. Just but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's Cesare, who is his own character, and his whole thing was that he was constantly being funded by his dad, Alexander VI. Um, he also had another uh, son, the oldest one. All of these are illegitimate, by the way, because he spent all of his adult life in the church. Uh, his oldest bastard son, uh, Giovanni Borgia, also known as Juan or Juan Bar- Borgia, um, he, you know, he had kind of did his own thing, also given a nepotistic post, as far as anyone can tell, did a pretty good job of it, um, but was found murdered after a party, that like a family party, um, his horse returned without his, without him on it, and they found his body, um, you know, stabbed several times with his throat cut open. Because, honestly, it's it actually, most people can survive a stab wound, so you really want to stab him a lot to make sure. Yeah. Um, the weird thing was, he had a, 
he had a, like a purse of quite a bit of money on him, but it wasn't touched. Yeah, political. Which, yeah, definitely suggests this was not some murder of opportunity. This was politically motivated. The thing was, the uh, there were two like like real prime possible uh, suspects, and they were both his brothers, Cesare, and the younger brother Joffrey. And uh, the reason they were both listed as a primary or possible, you know, motivating factor is uh, they were both banging Giovanni's wife. Alright, I mean, fair. The fuck is wrong with this family? I mean, a lot. Yeah, I guess that's why we're having this conversation. We're we're having this conversation because there's things wrong with these people. Yeah, of course, that's all alleged. All of this is alleged. In the 1500s, nothing is, like, we don't even... I'm sure, like, Alexander was the alleged pope, for all we know. They just barely got the printing press up and running. That doesn't mean that fire wasn't there to burn all the books and destroy all the evidence. Yep. And, yeah, this was obviously none of this shit was written down. This was just heavily um, pounded into the wife. So, it's anybody's guess how much of this is likely or true, but his brother, his younger brother Joffrey seems to be the most likely suspect who, who killed him because he had the clearest motivation not to mention the clearest opportunity. I mean, you're you're not going to expect your young brother to come up with you with a knife. Yep. So, um, possibly, yeah. So that's that's that was the fate of his oldest son. Um, they, he also had a daughter, Lucrezia Borgia, and she's the one who is either the biggest problematic child or the biggest victim of a smear campaign. Um. Because she had, like, four husbands, and uh, one of them was Giovanni Sforza. The Sforzas, coming up yet again. Um, and Rodrigo, Alexander VI, wanted to have her married off to someone who was a little more politically convenient at the time. And so what he did was, um, as the Pope, because the Pope could do this, he had the marriage annulled. Uh, alleging that Giovanni Sforza was impotent and had not consummated their marriage in the four years that it had existed. Which, uh, Giovanni took a bit of exception to. I'd imagine so. Because when the, when the, when the Pope makes a public declaration that you have shriveled dick, <laughs> that stings. Just a tad. Just a little bit. And so, there is a, there is this rumor that a, Lucrezia was banging her brother Cesare, and B, Rodrigo was banging his daughter Lucrezia. So, she, you know, there's there's two allegations of, like, incest, but they were likely made by Giovanni Sforza himself as sour grapes because, you know, the Pope kind of, you know, accused him of shrivel dick. I mean, hence my previous comment of what were the <laughs> positions that his children were in. Yeah. <laughs> Like, she really did have, like, four... She had four husbands in her lifetime. Two of them were killed. One was annulled, as I as I just listed. And then the last one, I think she... As far as I know, she actually stuck with. Oh. Okay. How faithful she was is anybody's guess. Because it really just depends on which sources you believe. Yeah. I mean, if your dad is the Pope and, she, and he can just annul whatever marriage you're bored of, and in that day and age... Yeah, I mean, it, especially because they hadn't had any kids, so it's not like he could have substantiated it any other way. Yeah. Although at the time there was actually a uh, 
like if you did want to annul your marriage because you're like claiming impotence, um, you could in fact have sex in the courtroom in front of everyone to prove that you're not impotent. Who is gonna come in that situation? Right. <laughs> I apologize to all my relatives who I know listen to this podcast, which I just found out. Yeah. Your Honor, uh, objection, I can totally bust a nut. <laughs> I also apologize to Milo's family. Hi. <laughs> does your mom listen to this? Yes. Oh. As does other members of my family. <laughs> oh. Hi, Miss. It was really nice having you here. <laughs> Feel free to come back anytime. But, uh, so that seems like a really awful way to try and prove a point. I mean, like, a very direct way. I mean, I'll give, you, time... I'll give you this much. If, uh, as far as uh, decisive, decisive evidence goes, you can't get much more decisive than, than, than a climax, but... Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess you just had to do what you had to do, and mm-hmm. what you had to do was your wife. Which, I mean, um, like, that's kind of like how... Objection. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> All right, so are we done with the Borgias, or who's... Almost. Like, oh. I talked about his <laughs> his family drama, but, you know, like I said, not not all of his stuff was necessarily more evil than the last. So I'm going to talk about some shit that actually made him problematic. Um, first thing that isn't... It's really not problematic so much as it is just kind of something notable in history. Um, he was the one who dealt with the Treaty of Tordesillas, which is uh, why... Brazil speaks Portuguese, and the rest of Central America and South America speaks Spanish. Um, when they discovered the New World, because he was the Pope, you know, in 1492 to 1503, so discovery of the New World happened under his jurisdiction. Um, and the, of course, the Portuguese and the Spanish had both just kind of discovered parts of it, and they had the argument over who had the claim to it. The Pope declared that everything from to the east of this line of uh, latitude was the Portuguese, and everything to the west was Spain. This is before they really had a proper idea of how big this new landmass was. So Spain made out like a bandit, um, you know, that, which I'm sure he also intended being Spanish. But uh, yeah, that's that's why Brazil speaks Portuguese nowadays, and the rest of the place speaks Spanish because. The Brazilian area was by you know, the Treaty of Tordesillas, uh, the property of Portugal, and the rest was the property of Spain, as far as colonies go. Um, the, the, the issue that he did was that uh, the, um, the Spain asked for the right to enslave the natives, and he signed off on that. Now, before I... I don't actually even know if I want to try to unpack that last statement. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But, literally. Yeah. But, um, so wait, to the west of this point and to the east of this point, um, are Spain and Portugal's jurisdictions. Doesn't that mean, like, Florida is supposed to be speaking Port? Wait, no, I'm looking at the map wrong. Um. Because remember, when, when, when Columbus discovered America, what he discovered were the Americas. Okay. You know, he, he actually landed in Haiti. Yeah, so we're looking at the Caribbean and, like... Not even right. Mexico, but like this is below Mexico. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, then we're looking at... And there's also the fact that, you know, these countries then began to fight each other for the next couple hundred years, so yeah, who who knows what uh, what they had to give and take. Okay. And yeah, like, Port- Brazil, obviously, it's, you know, it's not like a perfect line, but that's kind of just how the borders ended up falling. Um, but that's that's generally why... 
Brazil, which takes up the easternmost chunk of, of South America, is is Portuguese, speaks Portuguese rather than Spanish, which is the rest of the area. Yeah. Technically Barbados should then be speaking Portuguese then. But I mean they were all, they were English from like the get go. Technically. Somehow. Again, this was also a political move, so who knows what, what was, you know, decided upon. But that was the general rule was this area is Portuguese, this part Spanish. Um, the other thing he did was that uh, rival families, if they had cardinals that were part of that family or at least supported by that family, they had a tendency to get themselves imprisoned on trumped-up charges and then kind of just left to waste away. Like, it was, you know, again, the, the Italian families would have done much the same thing, but because he's Spanish, he gets a lot of shit for it. But it's still shady stuff. Yeah. So, you know... He, it's it's still fitting that he's a he's a not, not was not a good pope. All right, so we have the uh, necromancy pope, the sex pope. This is how I'm deciding how they're codified. Well, you're in luck because the last one already has his nickname chosen for you. Oh, excellent! This is Pope Julius the the second, the warrior pope. <laughs> okay. Ruled from 1503 to 1513. Now, you may look at when Alexander finished his reign and when Julius started and think, oh, so they came right after the other? No, once again, there's a little pope that takes up about three months' time in between them. Much like with Formosus and Stephen VI, there is, like, one pope who is, like, the filler episode <laughs> the before fl- before the next shit show starts. This is something pope. that comes... This is something that comes up a lot, especially with a pope that does a lot of stuff. A lot of times, you know, the next time they'll have a conclave, they'll pick a pope that is, you know, conservative and not likely to start any waves and just kind of quietly serve out their term and then die. So the the church has a chance to catch its breath before the next big shit show starts. The the especially the conclave in general is not prone to electing radical popes. You know, there's a there's a holy trinity when when deciding what the next pope is, and it's uh conservative, conservative, conservative. <laughs> they really do not want someone that's going to rock the boat because, at least from the point of view of the cardinals, it's fine as it is. Why, why upset the apple cart? Yep. Right up until the Protestant Reformation really took hold, they didn't really have to do anything. Yep. Or uh, the Second Vatican Council, which I'll have to remember to get into once we're, we're done with this list of just, like, inter- more interesting popes. Oh, that was one in the 60s. One that was called Vatican II, Electric Boogaloo. Yes, that one. It was that's called Vatican II, actually. Which yes, is the Second Vatican Council. Anyway, yeah, Pope Julius II, the warrior pope, um, also known as Il Papa Terrible. Oh, the terrible daddy. I know that's not the direct translation, but that's how I'm translating. Yes, Pope Julius II, the bad dad. Bad daddy. <laughs> Go to jail. <laughs> In keeping with the tradition, not started by Stephen VI. Go, good heavens, no, this started way before that. Um, Julius II had a real axe to grind with Cesare and Rodrigo Borgia. Did not like the Borgia family. His He was sponsored by rivals. Okay. Um, much like how Alexander gained his post, it was bribery and promises, and, you know, if you do this, I'll do this. Um, he, this was, he was also instrumental in, uh, Cesare Borgia's ultimate downfall. Uh, the Pope died in 1503, Cesare lasted a little bit longer than that, um, 
but uh, the fact that he was almost entirely reliant on papal sponsorship was ultimately his biggest Achilles heel and, and kind of what killed him in the end. Um, Julius II made promises to Cesare Borgia, like, you know, tit for tat for his support, um, knowing full well he was not going to do any of them. And then when he was elected Pope, hey, he didn't do any of those things. He mm-hmm. stabbed him in the back, not literally, that came later. Um, if he did it right off the bat with the stabbing, he might have saved himself a lot of grief. Yeah, because Ch- Cesare ultimately died in a military campaign unrelated to the papacy. It was just a domestic dispute. But um, Kind of surprised, but also, you know what, good for everyone else. Yeah, I mean, it certainly didn't do Cesare any favors, that's for sure. Um, this guy hated the Borgias so much that uh, the, the apartments that, the, the, that uh, Rodrigo had lived in he wouldn't even touch. Like, he had the area, like, sealed off, saying that uh, Rodrigo Borgia had so uh, desecrated the church that he wasn't even going to live in that area, that he had, like, like the whole place was dirty. Ooh, that's so petty. Yeah, it was extremely petty. And, um, you know, for, for all he hated Rodrigo Borgia, this really just feels a lot like second verse, same as the first, because he, like... Man, you, you want to know who engaged in even more nepotism than Alexander the Sixth? It's Julius the <laughs> Second. People, people at the time made the observation that it's fitting that he that he was Pope Julius the Second because he felt like a second Julius Caesar. Oh, this uh, this guy engaged in so many military campaigns that uh, sought to enrich and expand the papal state. You know, he just wanted the church to have so much more for itself. And this guy was definitely a uh, a militant pope. Like he literally led troops into battle, at least twice. Probably more than that, but that's just as many as we can actually historically confirm. He led troops into battle at least twice. He was known for being just kind of an enormous prick. Like he uh, he was prone to violence, easily angered. No one really liked working directly under him because he had such an explosive temper. Boy, how things have changed. Sigh. <laughs> I really now want to look up what the papal armor looked like. Was there like an armored pope hat? Please, oh, that t- would be cool. <laughs> like, it? please tell me there was an armored shit. pope hat. Jesus Christ! Um, I mean, you can look up what the Swiss Guard looked like back in the day because, hey, guess who founded it? This guy. Oh, okay. The, so the, it's his the military, the warrior pope, of course, is the person who who creates what is essentially the the papal secret service. Like, whenever you see the Popemobile going around, all the security personnel that's directly near him is the Swiss Guard. Julius II is the one who started this, and it continues to this day. This is a group of people who specifically stay in the Vatican. They they are not, like, mobilized as a military force. They stay wherever the Pope is to protect him. Wasn't there um, uniforms designed by Leonardo, though? Um, I don't know if he ultimately designed them Leonardo, or not. Leonardo da Vinci. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know why I'm calling him by his first name. Like he's like another roommate here. Well, it's because he doesn't. Also, he doesn't have a last name. He was just Leonardo of Vinci. Yeah, because like like for most people, he did not have a last name because his background was did not merit one. Yeah, people don't really think about that. Da Vinci, it's a address. Yeah, that's like saying you know. Milo de Long Island. Currently, Milo de Houston. Right. 
But yeah, I th- I don't remember if if Leonardo was the one who actually designed the Swiss Guard. I mean, it certainly would have been around that time. Um, but yeah, the Swiss Guard he founded them because, of course, the military guy is the one who founds like a group of people whose job is to militarily protect the Pope. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I I just I have somewhere in my fashion history brain that um, Leonardo de- designed their outfits. Mm-hmm. Um. The uh, and yeah, like the Swiss at the time were were known for having a lot of like in demand mercenary groups. Yeah. So like, if you wanted to have mercenaries to supplement your army that were you know pretty decent, you you would hire the Swiss. You know, um, there's also allegations like he had at least one bastard daughter. You know, again, he was he was pretty much just another Rodrigo Borgia, although like he would have just blown his smokestack if you'd made his that observation he was essentially another rodrigo borgia um he you know he slept around he had a lot of nepotism he bribed his way up to the top um despite the fact that uh like the only reason rodrigo borgia isn't known as a warrior pope is because he had his son cesare do all that shit for him um but julius did it himself um it is noted that, like, for most popes, they would not have had the energy to run military campaigns and run the church, and he was pretty, like, he had some pretty good fortitude for being able to handle all that. Um, let's see, how many less? Yeah, 1503 to 1513. Ten years is a pretty decent run for a pope, especially at that time. Yeah. Um, he was not a spring chicken when he was elected. Um... But he he had at least one bastard daughter. He also may have been gay slash bisexual. It's it's hard to say because when you're going to talk, especially at the time, if you're going to talk shit about your enemies, accusing them of sodomy was a pretty go to thing. You know, you you fuck boys was was like a pretty easy insult slash accusation if you really wanted to to rattle someone's chakras. But then at the same time, for a long for. A good portion of mainland Europe having um, a borderline homosexual relationship with your male friends, mm-hmm. adult male friends, was considered par for the course. It was also that. So it's it's really anybody's guess how accurate these accusations are. But he may have may have been gay or bisexual. Yeah. So it like th- defining homosexuality like prior to the 1900s is weird and hard yeah the um but yeah this guy was was known for having a fiery explosive temper and for leading military campaigns to expand the papal states actual like real estate okay um known for yeah just kind of being a dangerous guy to fuck with um, the other interesting thing is that, you know, Rodrigo Borgia, he did not directly sponsor Leonardo, but Cesare sponsored him, and all of his money came from the Pope, so it's like a second-hand thing. Um, the guy that uh, Julius sponsored was Michelangelo. Oh. It was under his reign that the Sistine Chapel was painted. <laughs> I was like, eventually we were going to get here. <laughs> we are going to get to Michelangelo, because shoo boy... Michelangelo has some stuff of his own. It's very likely, given historical records, that he was autistic. Um, he was he had very bad uh, hygiene standards. He uh, was prone to, in the middle of a conversation, just walk away when he felt like he was done with it. 
he did not like talking to people in general. Like he, like a lot of the things that we would today associate with autism, he very clearly showed those signs of as far as the historical record shows. He also really, really wasn't fond of painting. Like he was good at it, but he would much rather be sculpting. Uh, so, you know, he painted the Sistine Chapel and, you know, he did a good job of it, obviously, but it was not something that he, uh, you know, saw as, like, his magnum opus. Yeah, at he, a certain point, what he, like, he, I remember he left, hid out, had to be kidnapped and dragged back to finish it. Pretty much. Yeah, like, that's the short and short version of what happened. Like, ima- imagine be, having to be told, like, hey... That work you did on the Sistine Chapel, one of the most uniquely beautiful things that exists in the world today, fucking finish it. <laughs> Get it done. I know you don't want to create one of the most beautiful things in the world, but suck it up, you bitch. We're dragging you back from the random clock tower you're hiding in. Yeah. <laughs> suck it the goddamn up. Yes, Im- Im- imagine that being your life. That was Michelangelo. Michelangelo had a lot of access to grind because his not only did his behavior not get him a lot of friends, he kind of just generally did not get along well with people. And one of the people that he did not get along with was a cardinal by the name of Biagio de Cesena. Um, this guy was, um, I guess you could describe him as kind of like Professor Snape from Harry Potter. And that, you know, he would always just find some opportunity to, to grill you on something and just be a petty tyrant about things. Cardinal de Cezanne was, uh, had beef with him, so to speak. And, uh, Michelangelo was not one to just let that shit slide. But he, he wasn't usually one to just, to, to address it with you personally. He was kind of one to kind of just let his art speak for him. Which is a problem when you're Michelangelo and all of your art is an absolute masterpiece that stands the test of time and will be remembered for all eternity. Because when you put someone on blast in your paintings, you will be on blast for eternity. He, uh, in the one of his paintings, I think this was the Sistine Chapel. It might have been another thing. It was some big thing. He he painted uh, like you know it was. He also had a depiction of hell. And one of the, you know, the, he would paint various people suffering in hell, and he, he would usually call on, you know, mythological figures. And one of the figures was King Minus, you know, the guy who wished to have the golden touch. Minus, yeah. Yeah, King Minus. He, uh, he eventually wished for it to be undone after he realized that's a really bad wish, and he didn't think this through. But in exchange, he had donkey ears. Yep. He turned his daughter into a golden statue and was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was really looking forward to eventually having grandchildren. I mean, arguably her dowry is now worth even more, but no. Damn it. But, you know, in the myth, he gets, you know, he gets ass's ears and he tries to hide it. Um, And Michelangelo depicts him as being in the underworld because, at least mythologically speaking, he's one of the people that's in, like, one of the judges of the underworld. Yes. Um... Is it greed or um, avarice? Avarice. I thought it was like hubris. Yeah, it's avarice, which is the fancy way of saying greed. Yeah. Um, and when he painted his depiction of King Midas in the underworld, at least at the contemporary time, there was absolutely no mistaking that he had painted uh, Cardinal de Cesena as King Midas. Like he, it was like looking in a mirror, except the mirror has donkey ears, and also. 
he uh, painted having a snake biting the guy's dick. Because, you know, censorship. Yeah, like, it was equal parts censorship and also the snake is biting his penis. <laughs> like, chomp, like, the whole thing. Like, the snake is deep-throating this guy. You know, like, everyone's got their own fetish, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. And I, but I don't think it was this guy's fetish because, oh my god, was he so mad about this. Oh, it's gotta because be he is thing. now he is now painted in a church <laughs> uh, as being King Minus with ass's ears, being one of the judges of hell with a snake constantly biting his whole Jim and Twins. I mean, I'd be really angry too if I was painted in a very gorgeous artistic masterpiece depicted as a furry in the act of a of bestiality having a knot pulled out of your butthole yeah yeah you just be like i understand this is a thing for some people but did you have to pick me personally (laughs) couldn't you have found someone that was into it someone that would be (laughs) proud i have opinions about this i have many opinions i have opinions with a capital o like this is like this is a capitalized opinions opinions trademark yes (laughs) trademark (laughs) So yeah, of course the cardinal like went like he was so mad about this. Understandably, like you know, talk should get hit, but still, like I can understand this guy was mad about it. And of course, being a cardinal, who who do you report to? The Pope. So he goes to the Pope, and he's just like, "This motherfucker, you're the one who's sponsoring him. Do something about this." Make him repaint the face. Yeah, make him change something. <laughs> this is unacceptable. Like this, this is like this is basically blasphemy. How like, do you are know I have a mole over there? You are accusing a cardinal of being worthy of being thrown in, comparable to a member of hell. Like he was so pissed, and the Pope didn't want to deal with this. In addition to having run several military campaigns and kind of being a, a bellicose douche canoe to begin with, he had really had it up to here with Michelangelo's petty, like, drama queen bullshit, of which there was so much. Um, and he was just like, I, I'm i not going to get in the middle of this. I'm not dealing... I had to drag Michelangelo back to finish the best thing he'll ever do because he didn't want to fucking do it. I do not want to get in the middle of this. And this guy is just raising such a stink, I can't just tell him to go away. So what he said was, as the Pope, I have, you know, ju- you know, holy jurisdiction over heaven and earth. You know, I, I, I am God's chosen, uh, you know, agent on this earth. But unfortunately, in he- I have no jurisdiction over hell. And seeing as you are depicted in hell, it is outside of my power to affect this. <laughs> so I'm afraid you're on your own. You are going to have to talk to Michelangelo about this directly. <laughs> I will say no more. I was just about to say <laughs> I really want to see like a drag, uh, short, like history abridged version reenactment <laughs> of everything to do with uh, Michelangelo in general. I could do a whole drunk history about just Michelangelo's shit oh, alone. I didn't say drunk. I said drag. Oh, drag I drag history. I'm down for that. I've mentioned before on this podcast that I spent many a time working backstage on many drag shows, and how I would love to see backstage just like drag queens getting ready for me. Like I can't deal with this shit. I go on in five. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, would 
I, I would gladly dress up as like a female version of Julius II. Just, I'll do it. It's like, you two talk amongst yourselves. I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> sort it out yourself. So that was his excuse for not getting in the middle of this, you know, this, this petty bullshit. And, um, there's, uh, and the Cardinal de Cesena was not the only person that Michelangelo insulted in his paintings. I mean, there's subtle references left and right about the people that he had to work with at the time. But one of the most clever was he actually insulted Julius II himself in the Sistine Chapel. Yep. A couple of people were actually used as, um, like, you know, as the models for the faces. Among which were, like, just, like, random peasants and drunkards that you saw on the street. Right. Which um, insulted people just on basis of... Who he used. I mean, a, but a, a usable face is a usable face. Yeah, like oh, yeah. This, one of them uh, yeah. was Pope Julius himself. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I have a photo reference um, here. I'll post that in the show. Yeah, notes. you'll have to post this, but just for your thing. Now, you see, there, there are these two angels, and just off screen to the right um, is going to be a figure that's obviously meant to be Julius II. Um, you know, if you're, it's it's up on the roof, like up in one of the corners, so. You know, if you're standing from the thing, all you can clearly see is, like, maybe if you look really close, like, oh, that's me! And, um, you know, he painted Pope Julius because he's his, his uh, patron, and, you know, you had to kiss ass where you could. Um, and so he painted these two arc, you know, these two archangels behind, you know, who was clearly meant to be Pope Julius. I think he's just, like, some filler person in the painting. He was, like, some angel but it's like, hanging it's, out. But for the time, it's like, oh, that's clearly Pope Julius, and him being, like, in the same frame as God, that's, you know, that's already good enough. Yeah, like, I recognize those two angels, like, based on their composition, they're part of that bit where it's, like, God touching Adam. Right, it's yeah. that one. Yeah. So but, like, but it's it's part of the area where it starts curving down. Okay, so Julius is painted as but one like, of the he's angels. But, like, he's in the shot. In the bottom, supporting God. Yeah, he's in the he's in the shot somewhere. Okay. Now, the thing is, it's very hard to uh, to see these two angels, especially if you're standing from the ground view. Okay. Um, especially because it was an area that tended to accumulate dust and dirt really quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, it's 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 especially hard to see because it's a black and white thing. But uh, the angel is holding a pose like this. It's like the got your nose thing, you know, holding your thumb between your middle and forefinger. I, mean, I can see how the fingers are separated. Yeah. yeah, like like he's he's. He looks like he's he's got his hand around another angel's shoulder, and he's holding that pose like the got your nose thing. I know that doesn't mean got your nose if you're not off the... I know oh, what it that, didn't at the time. Oh, I know what that means. This, this was the middle finger <laughs> of the time. And so, Michelangelo, ballsy bastard that he was, just giving zero shits, had an angel flipping off Pope Julius II behind his back, memorialized for all eternity. And this was something that, A... Julius didn't notice because he's you know if he's only he's not he didn't climb up all the ladders to go see this he was an old man when he was elected he didn't climb up all the ladders to see this up close he just saw it from the ground view was like oh hey that's me awesome oh hey angels hey good job man I'm I'm glad you're able to sort that shit out with Cardinal de Cesena you ass (laughs) And, and this wasn't even like noticed by people at the time it wasn't until um hundreds of years later when they were like gonna go and like you know, like clean everything to make it like look better because of all the accumulated dirt and stuff. Yeah, that they, that this clear detail became the light, and the historians were like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> Michelangelo, you fucker, that <laughs> bastard!" 
It turns out, yeah, he was insulting his benefactor the entire time, which, I mean, yeah, given what he was like, that's that's pretty fitting. I feel like most of medieval art history is art historians looking back and going, that sassy fucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Julius was pretty much just Rodrigo Borgia with, uh, except replace all of uh, Rodrigo Borgia's family drama, and Julius was just like, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> That was all of it. He had his own legendary, like, person that he patronized for the arts who had a, you know, varying levels of relationship with him. He had the, you know, the military campaigns and shit. But, uh, you know, Pope Alexander VI does not have the dubious honor of having an angel flipping him off in one of the most beautiful works of architecture for all eternity. Yeah, he just kind of... Step up your game, Alexander VI. God. Um, so, I mean, personally, I would think that for, like, worst pope, it's Alexander VI, while he did, like, some, you know, petty bullshit stuff, he's kind of of second banana to the other two. He's also not, like, when you look at the context of the other popes of the Renaissance era, he is not outstandingly bad. Like, they're all bad. Yeah. He just kind of took everything to one step, not multiple steps, but just yeah. one step further he, of a logical conclusion. He brought another. He brought another nationality into the fold, and then that just got everyone's, you know, pearls rankled. Yeah. In your personal opinion, of those three, who's the the worst pope? I mean, as far as the one that like brought the most indignity to the position. And are and had like who had the least lasting influence and most like active damage to the uh, to the appearance of the papacy that would easily be Stephen the Sixth, the first one we talked about with the cadaver synod, because that was the only thing of note that he had to his name was digging up his rival and putting him on blast. Because the other two actually, like, did things that were, you know, Yeah, like, useful. Alexander, like, you know, it's not great that he, you know, de facto legalized slavery in the New World, but at least in the time of the Renaissance, so much shit was happening, like, not all of it was bad. He did crack down on a couple, uh, you know, problematic uh, elements in the church. As to Julius II, like... You know, a, a lot of the shit they did had a net positive gain that I just didn't write down because you know it kind of detracted from my point about them being shitty. Yeah, and also it was a lot. It was it was a lot of just kind of mundane administrative stuff. But like Stephen the Sixth, he he was there for a year, and really the only thing noteworthy that he managed to do was humiliate a dead guy. So in terms, of... I mean, he was there for a year. Like at least, like Alexander the Sixth lasted for. 11 years, and Pope Julius lasted for about 10 years. Stephen last, didn't even last, like, a full year. So Stephen spent his entire papacy yelling at a dead guy. And then getting strangled to death by dramatic irony. Good. Alright, so in terms of net gain, Stephen's the worst. I would say, of, of the ones that I, I choose chose to bring up to the Midnight Society here, yeah, he's, he's definitely the, the shittiest. Are there any honorable mentions that you didn't, uh... Um, I mean, there's a couple honorable mentions. There's, like, you know, there's Pope Benedict the Sixteenth that recently came and went because, you know, being being complicit in the biggest sexual molestation scandal that the church has seen in recent history, not great. 
Yeah. Like, that, that reason alone justified him retiring in disgrace and nobody liking him. Yeah. The fact that he looks like the Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars is just kind of, you know, Sith icing on the cake. Yeah. I mean, like, that and everyone... I am the Synod. <laughs> so, any other honorable mentions aside from that? Um, I mean, there's... A, I don't know the exact names, but I mean, there's plenty of just kind of mediocre to not great popes who were just put in there for political gain and then, um, you know, corrupted the hell out of the office and then died and then were replaced by someone who did much the same thing. There's, I mean, we'd be here all day if I were to just list all of them. Yeah, probably. Um, I do want to bring you back for another time around where we were going to talk about actual, like, uh, good popes and probably other subjects. Oh, should, should I say Pope Pius Twelfth for that one? Oh, sure, unless you want to talk about him right now. Oh, I was going to say, like, you know, he's someone who is known as a shitty pope, but he actually isn't. I think he's you know, should be redeemed in this regard. Yeah. But he's not a shitty pope. He was the pope during World War II. Oh, well, then I'm actually curious, because I don't even really know what's going on in World War II in terms of, like, the papacy. Yeah, Pope Pius Twelfth. So, at this point, the Holy Roman Empire is gone. The papal states are gone. Literally, the only actual land the that the uh, Catholic Church has in their name anymore is Vatican City, which, as you know, is half an acre in the heart of Rome, the capital of Italy. A really gorgeous half an acre, but still... Oh my god, yes. Oh yeah, half an acre. Yes, and the only thing he has is his Swiss Guard, and, you know, they're there to protect him, but they certainly can't go out and, like, wage war on his will. And uh, during World War II, Italy is, is one of the Axis powers. So, but, if he is openly, and it's a fascist, you know, totalitarianism in Italy, Mussolini not being the most competent of people, but still very much dangerous. Yeah. He's, he's good at, mm, making friends, question mark? Yep, and being a burden on Hitler, which, yep. wow, if you're, if you're a burden to Hitler, of all people, good job, Mussolini, yeah. you dipshit. <laughs> you had something for us to write in your epitaph. But uh, yeah, he was a pope during World War II, and man, I would not, I I do not envy that position because that is that is that is the definition of a rock in a hard place, uh, because he is right in the heart of the Axis powers. He sees the rise of you know fascist evil in his neighborhood, because all he has to do is look over the really high walls of the Vatican City and just be like, hmm, don't like that. And this guy gets shit a lot shit on a lot in history, partly because a lot of the stuff that he did was not known until, like, really recently. Like, 1999 and 2009 were, like, when the bulk of the stuff that he did was became known. So, him being known as Hitler's Pope, uh, it, it is understood, understandable why people hated him for so long, because for, the, for what was available as information goes, that would be the conclusion you'd draw. Because, yeah, the, the Pope was not in a good position. He, uh, he would not openly condemn the Nazis or Nazism or the fascism in Italy because the fuck is he supposed to do? He's got the Swiss Guard and half an acre of of ancient buildings that he probably does not want to have burned to the ground. Yeah. He has the papal archives, which, like, the papal archives still have stuff that historians around the world would love to have access to. Oh, hell yes. Yes. So... He really could not openly defy any of this evil. He had to he had to play his cards smart, and play them smart is what he did. 
he uh, he wouldn't openly condemn the Nazis. He kind of just you know let them be what they were. Uh, but he used his position as the Pope, you know, as the highest pontiff in the world to actually save several thousand Jews. Um, because he was the Pope, anyone he declared was Catholic, I mean, what are you going to do? Tell the Pope he's wrong? So if the Jews were trying to get the hell out of Axis territory, because of course they were, he would declare that they were, you know, he would say they were Catholic and they had performed all the necessary rites of confirmation, and he would be able to get them travel visas so they could get the fuck out of Dodge. Um, but of course, like, not even the not even the Jews that were getting this stuff knew that it was coming from the Pope. All they knew was that they were getting help and they were being called Catholic and whatever it takes to get away from, you know, those wacky Nazis. <laughs> they certainly were not about to question it. Oh, yeah. Um, so he used his influence to make sure all these Jews got the necessary forged paperwork to get the fuck out of there and escape the Nazis. Um, he obviously wasn't... He couldn't say that he was doing this because, you know, he had to act as if he was tacitly okay with Nazism. Um, so, I mean, the the man tanked his own, like, name and reputation and good standing to, to save thousands of people, which, I mean, that strikes me as a pretty Christian thing to do, like a genuinely Christian thing to do. Yeah. Near the end of the war, he, he started becoming a little more bold about it. And, like, he would, uh, what we would call today vague booking. Yeah. Uh, he would he would vague book about the uh, human rights violations that the Nazis were doing, and Hitler was you know obviously not happy about this because Hitler offhand I wouldn't describe as a happy person. Nope. He uh, he was trying to make plans to have this Pope assassinated because he was starting to get tired of, of Pope Pius the shit. Um, he he was the plan that he came up with, and if it sounds dumb, that's only because Hitler thought of it. Anyone who's paid any attention to World War II will recognize this as a pretty consistent factor. Thank you, Hitler, for D-Day. We literally could not have done it without you. <laughs> so Hitler's plan was to have an SS unit just march into the Vatican and just occupy everything. Take the papal archives, take the city, which is easy, it's half an acre. Like, you could, you could conquer it at a brisk jog and be done before noon. Um, and then just take the Pope hostage. And then have him moved up north just to, you know, be held and not be vague booking about the Nazis and their various crimes against humanity, of which there were several. This is, this is not a controversial statement or one that I need to cite. It is pretty much established fact. Them Nazis were not good folk. <laughs> the true shittiest Pope, Hitler. <laughs> Hashtag Hitler is a bad Pope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, but this this was his genius plan. Have a group of the SS um, kidnap the Pope and, and, you know, take over the Vatican. Then have a different group of Nazi soldiers kill the first group as if they were uh, Italian saboteurs or assassins. And then in just the ensuing melee that ensued, shoot the Pope. Or just have him secreted away if he was going to be compliant about the whole thing. But, like, just do something to silence him. To, uh, yeah, just have him silence one way or the other in the ensuing struggle. And then blame it on the Italians. Because if there's one thing that everyone was going to readily believe, it's that the Italians in World War II were absolutely incompetent. (laughs) 
So, I mean, I'll give him this much. At least that part had a pretty solid founding. But uh, ultimately, this plan did not uh, go through, um, especially because, as historians have pointed out, he had absolutely nothing to gain from this. Like, the most he could have gotten was people around the world more solidly siding against him because, dude, it's the Pope. What the fuck, man? But yeah, the Pope, Pope Pius Twelfth willingly allowed his own character to be assassinated, if not himself, um, for the sake of doing what he could during World War II in what was arguably the worst position he could have possibly been in. So, yeah, Stephen VI, Alexander VI, uh, sixes, uh, jo- Pope Julius II, shitty popes. Al- Pius XII, not a shitty pope. Then I've got to actually ask, do you have an opinion about the pope that we actually, like, got to hang out with him during our lifetime that re- passed away, uh, John Paul II. John Paul II, it's hard to say. He was also a pope that was in a tough position because of the Soviet Union and, you know, occupying Poland, his home state. You know, yeah. He, um, he had a lot of social issues that rose up that the church was absolutely not ready to Yeah, have. the AIDS crisis notwithstanding. The AIDS crisis, oh heavens no. Um... I mean, I'm more willing to blame Reagan for that one. At least he was in a policy position. But like, oh god, yeah, we'll do. I'll do a whole other episode about like Reagan and AIDS another time. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it'll it's, more be about like Reagan's wife and AIDS. It's but, uh, it is kind of hard to say how much he knew about the the priest molestation scandal because that's always the big thing. Like from John Paul up to Francis, the current pope is did they know anything about this molestation scandal and you know what they if they did know anything what they did to deal with it if anything that's that's definitely where uh pope benedict his downfall came i haven't personally done a lot of research as to what john paul ii knew so it's hard for me to say um that not i mean if he knew about it and he was complicit in it then obviously shitty pope i mean whatever you did if you're if you're, you know, if if between molesting children and and protecting your your priests, and you choose the to protect the priests that are molesting children, you you fail as a pope. You fail like, as a Christian. Like this is this is yeah. Like this is not up for debate. That is the easiest moral decision in the world, next to uh, condemning Nazis. And you couldn't even do that. Then you failed as a you know as a moral leader. Um, but I. I do not know how much of that he was aware of or complicit in, so it's hard for me to say. But, I mean, aside from that, I mean, he was certainly doing the best he could, uh, considering how like how much of a relic of an older era he was. Yeah, he was pretty well-loved in general. He was, he was very well-loved, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, well-loved is not the same as actually good, as as, yeah. as any historian worth their salt will say. Oh yeah, I mean the gen- the opinion at the time of each pope seems to just generally be well loved, right, by the general populace, except for Stephen the sixth. Oh my God, we'll just we'll, we'll let <laughs> apparently him. that's the standard for behavior: dig up your old rival and put them on trial. Okay, let's let's do better than that. We might be we might be okay. Yeah, if there's any time where a Catholic is going to be embarrassed by their own pope, we're just gonna let that lie. We're there. Grave-soiled hands lie. Oh, heavens, yes. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, If anybody wants to contact you, uh, talk about, I guess, Pope or Catholic-related things or anything of the like, 
do you want them to? Is there a way for them to? Or um, I guess I'll contact you, and then you'll kind of filter them to me. Yeah, I live like you know, literally three feet away from you. So yeah, it'll be very easy. Yep. You can just open your door and just be like, "Hey, Mike, some guy wants to debate you about Pope Pius the Twelfth. You want to do it?" And be like, "Fucking bring it." <laughs> I, uh, you'll say no. I'm sleeping. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> Depending on the like, hour. Br- bring me your finest. Wi- bring me your finest twelve dollarist whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So if you want to talk to me. Um, and about any or t- religious or cultural experiences that you've had, uh, you can email me at drinkingwithgod, that's drinking with an I-N-G, uh, at gmail.com, and feel free to reach out to uh, me. Reach oh, out so to you're our... the one who took that email address, you yeah. fucker. <laughs> Listen, I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> and I need to talk to somebody. Um, and you can reach out to our Redbubble to our Twitter, to our Facebook. Um, you can buy our t-shirts at our Redbubble page. They think, say things like, ask me about my death anxiety, or gay sex is my anti-drug. And you can... Or dignity. <laughs> we might feature new t-shirts based on this this episode, in fact. And um, feel free to email me, feel free to message me. Thank you so much for following us and supporting us. And definitely... Um, Send me an email if you have any questions or if you want to be on the show. And uh, you all stay weird out there.